Rosaria Butterfield was a committed feminist and a lesbian when a local pastor and his wife invited her over for dinner. What she found in that dinner, and as she started attending his church, was that her caricature of Christians and Christianity was off the mark. I did not meet Christians who shared a narrowly bounded, priggish worldview. That is not what I met. I met people who could talk openly about sexuality and politics and did not drop down dead in the process. Ken Smith made it so clear to me that he could accept me right where I was, that there's a difference between acceptance and approval. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear today how a Presbyterian pastor was used by God to share the gospel with a lesbian college professor and about the remarkable transformation that God did in her life. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. You know, if we were going to sit down in our communities and think, where might there be a fertile mission field, people who would be open to hearing the message of the gospel? I don't think we would think, well, I bet the queer studies program down at the university, I bet they're dying for somebody to come in and share about Jesus with them. You know? I wouldn't think so. But the story we're hearing this week is the story of... An unlikely convert. At least that's what it says on the front of this book. That's right. Rosaria Butterfield joins us again on Family Life Today. Rosaria, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I I want you to unpack what Bob just said because some of our listeners are going, wait a second, did Bob just use the word queer? He did. He did. And before we came in the studio, we talked about it. I asked you about this. And I think a lot of our listeners would sure. would, would like to know what the background is. Let me sure. just introduce you, though, before uh, uh, you answer my question. Rosaria has been married to her husband, Kent, since uh, 2001. They have four children. She is a former English professor at Syracuse University. And uh, she has written a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And did I say something wrong when I said queer? You did not. No, you you did not. Um, gay and lesbian studies started as gay and lesbian studies, and it started as a way of understanding the lives and appreciating the contributions made by gay men and lesbian women. But in a context of postmodernism and poststructuralism, even the what we call normative gender of that statement men, women, even the normative gender of that statement has become what we call contested or something that is only fixed in the eyes of a culture, not in the hearts of people. And so queer theory is the academic manifestation of of the postmodern and post-structural worldviews as it applies to a person's sexuality. And so in 1997, 
uh, studying advancing queer theory mm-hmm. as a tenured right. professor at Syracuse. Well, I was tenured in in, in ninety eight, but okay. you know. And yeah. you're you're in a lesbian right. relationship yep. at the time. Absolutely. You write an editorial in the uh, Syracuse newspaper talking right. about these patriarchs who are coming to Syracuse, right. the Promise Keepers group. Right. No way we should let them near the campus. Right. You get hate mail and you get fan mail and you get one letter from a pastor who says, "Let's talk." Right. And that conversation, the beginning of that conversation, put you on an unexpected path. Yes, it did. Absolutely, absolutely. And my my husband, um, my husband's name is Kent. So sometimes people get the, my, you know, my Kent, there's a T in there. So my husband's name is Kent. Kent is um, the pastor of the First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham, and he just finished a series on hospitality, preaching series, and it was really interesting for me to sit, you know, many many years later. And remember that hospitality does not mean fellowship. Hospitality means bringing the stranger in. And more than that, it means going to the gate and getting the stranger and bringing him or her in. I think sometimes Christians think we're practicing hospitality when we have our homeschool friends from church over for lunch. Well, that's fellowship and that's very good but it's not hospitality. You mentioned that the um, the gay and lesbian community very, were, were good at this. Very good at this. And so every Thursday night, uh, my, my partner and I would open our home to anybody in the gay and lesbian community who wanted to just come in and talk to us and tell us what's going on. And I, I tell pastors, you know, hints from Heloise. It's you a know, good take, strategy It's here. a good strategy. Just open it up. Don't call it a Bible study. Call it a just whatever and just find out who your people are. Give, give us some idea of who would come over to your house when you and your partner invited. Yeah. Well, you know, I lived, in, first of all, we are not, I think people don't understand sometimes that that at a university and especially where I was coming from, the gay and lesbian community was highly respected and valued and appreciated. So it could be anyone, you know, graduate students or faculty members or neighbors. Um, We might talk about, you know, some environmental issue. We might talk about so-and-so's dog needs to be put to sleep and, you know, we should do something. You know, it was just a, it was simply a day to catch up and know how to be hand-on-hand with one another. And the people coming might be gay or might be straight. Oh, yeah. There's a diversity of folks. Oh, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. But the gay and lesbian community is a diverse community. Absolutely. And so, you know, we didn't all have one journey into the community and we didn't have one story. But a very special person who was there every, every time because she was my dear, dear friend was a transgendered woman, um, and I call her Jay in the book. And and Jay, when you say a transgendered woman, she's born anatomically male, right? And identified more as a female, began a process that starts with hormonal therapy and ultimately ends in surgery. Well, it may ultimately end in surgery. Surgery is very expensive. So at my season, when, when Jay and I were very good friends, Jay was what, what we would call chemically castrated. And you use the female pronoun when you refer to Jay. Why do you do that? I do. I do. In fact, I was asked recently at a biblical counseling conference why I do that, because I respect the fact that when I am meeting people, I would do that today as a Christian, by the way. This was not some of the things I did back then I wouldn't necessarily do today, but I would do this today because you have to meet and respect people where they are. And 
hospitality is, I believe it is God's ordained path for evangelism. In 1 Corinthians, when God tells us that no temptation will befall you except for that which he will provide a way of escape, I want all of our Christian listeners to know that from the bottom of my heart, I believe that your home and your church is a way of escape for somebody, for somebody like me or not like me, but for somebody, somebody that God has called. But if your door is closed... Mm-hmm. or if you can't get over yourself, and maybe I can talk a little bit about this, you know, that we pray, Lord, may there be more of you and less of me. We, we as Christians pray for a relinquished life. If that is so, then our churches and our homes are the way of escape. But that has not historically been the truth, right? Right. We've had a lot of judgmental walls and bars right, right. on our homes instead right, of doors right. at that point. That's right. And, you know, and I think it's a good question. I'm sure that there are people listening saying, you know, but I thought she had small children. What is she saying? And, you know, where do we draw the line? There are lines to draw. I'm not suggesting that you should be careless. But I am suggesting that we should examine some things. Probably the most important thing to examine is... Who is Jesus and is grace sufficient? And have I been forgiven of my sins? Mm -hmm. And and that's really what I want you to finish unpacking. And in terms of your story with the pastor, Ken, who wrote you the letter, as Bob mentioned earlier, and didn't take you to task. No, no, He no. asked you a bunch of questions that mm-hmm. were hard for you to answer, invited you over to his home. Right. And you went and had a delightful time. I did. I did. I met Christians who were thoughtful and engaging and smart and did not use the Bible to punctuate the, the end of a sentence, but rather to deepen it and had a vital faith life. And, you know, the other thing that I, I want to say about Ken, which is really interesting, it's not like Ken had some you know, went to some PhD program where he developed a parachurch ministry on how to minister to homosexuals. You know, not at all. I suspect I was the first person in the lesbian community that Ken had ever met that he knew perhaps was a lesbian. But Ken knew Jesus. He knew him really well. He knows him really well. And therefore, Ken could walk the long journey over to me and help me walk that long journey back to Jesus because he didn't need a parachurch ministry. Ken didn't need to find somebody in the church who had a daughter who was a lesbian. Who He didn't, he, he pretty much presumed that he, he could ask me some straight up questions and I could answer them and nobody was going to fall down dead and I think the fact that I wanted to read the Bible, even for the wrong reasons, was delightful to Ken. And, you know, as a pastor's wife now, I will tell you, you know, anybody who's excited to read the Bible, we don't care. You know, <laughs> what, your, what your motive is doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Did, yeah. you, did you intentionally say things to Ken to try to shock him? Did, did you try to? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember intentionally trying to scare Ken. I mean, I think I tried to tell him that I was a member of a Unitarian church in the hopes that he wouldn't invite me to church, but I didn't realize that... He wasn't planning on inviting me to church. Mm. He was planning on bringing the church to me. 
You, a heathen. Sa- you said he and his wife Floyd yes. came to your house. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. did they come on Thursday nights? Uh, no. Well, I don't think so. I, no, 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 not in that kind of thing. But w- what happened? It, this is how it started. Um, Ken and Floyd and I became friends. And they let me do things for them, which is really nice, you know, because sometimes Christians forget that a really good way to be loving is to let other people use their gifts. And so I love to bake bread and make soup. And so if, if somebody was sick, you know, I love doing that. So so they let me serve them in that way. And mm. then they served me in many ways. And we, we just had a grand old time. And in fact, I felt like, wow, I have finally arrived. I am a real liberal. I finally have friends who are not in the queer community and and have PhDs in the humanities. Look, I have these I have these evangelical these right wingers these straight evangelical conservative <laughs> Christians and I hang out with them. I've I've, I've arrived. Um, and then Ken said something really funny. Well, it was the gauntlet moment. He said, Rosaria, I am concerned about the English department. And I should tell you that I was the undergraduate coordinator of the English program. So you know, I was a little concerned about where this was going. He said, well, you've read the Bible now and you you see that it has every genre. It is a beautiful book of, of literature. I would like to go and speak to your English majors and tell them why they should be reading the Bible. Well, my claws came out. I was, you know, it was like, it, it, suddenly the mother bear in me was born and, and I just made it very clear that, you know, that that, that happen. over that, my dead body and yeah, through my that claws. That was brilliant though. Well, but let me tell you what happened next. It occurred to me though, that this lecture would be pretty advantageous for me because I'm a student of hermeneutics, but I do not know the hermeneutical traditions that an evangelical Christian uses. I... I know about canonicity, but I don't know about the canons that legitimated these 66 books. I thought to myself, hmm, you know what? I'd like to hear this lecture. So before I took Ken's head off, I said, how about an audience of one? And this is probably the most spectacular thing about about Ken Smith. If you think about it, often in the church, we want to talk to a thousand people. Mm. And we get frustrated, you know, oh, you know, so few people came to this worship service or, oh, we had this outreach and, you know, there are only, well, one. Mm. Ken came for me, for one. I still have the notes. He lectured for an hour. I thought that man would never shut up. <laughs> I was fuming. I was fuming. And so we got to the end uh, finally, he stopped, you know, <laughs> oh, hallelujah, he stopped. <laughs> and I said, Ken, you have one book that declares that it is the true truth. And it does so on an, of all things, an ontology. It, it claims to be true because of its own truth claim. I mean, that's just, you know, you get thrown out of the game for, for playing that way. And I have, what, a hundred on the bookshelf behind you that says you're wrong. And he just clapped his hands and grinned. He said, exactly. And next week, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't just a lecture. He was taking you to a class here. He did. One. A a one student. And so what happened? I mean, how did you you find your way on that journey? Well, yeah, that was a... You know, that night, I remember walking my dog and thinking... My world would be a very different world if I believed these things. 
Well, in fact, in fact, you were starting to change. Even in I the was. midst of that, you, your your I was. your I, friend, the transgender friend, my friend Jay. Well, that's right. She had cornered me in the kitchen at one of my Thursday night events. That was important too, by the way, because I felt like, in some ways, her response gave me permission. So this was important. She cornered me in the kitchen and said, "Look, before you pour any more glasses of wine or fill any more pasta bowls, you need to come clean with me. All of this Bible reading." is changing you, and I'm worried. <laughs> and I sat down in the chair, and I felt like I was going to throw up, and I said, what if it's true? What if it's true, and you and I and everyone we know, we're, we're all in trouble. What if Jesus is a real and risen Lord who sits at the right hand of God the Father? What if all of this is true? What if Jesus died for the sins of his people? What if healing happens through the stripes of Jesus? What if he took on a curse so that people could be blessed? What if, what if all of that, that whole story? I mean, do you know that story? What, what if all that is true? And then she sat down and looked like she was as bad off as I was at that point and said, I know. I was a Presbyterian minister for 15 years. I prayed that God would heal me, but he didn't. If you'd like, I'll pray that God will heal you. And that threw me for a loop. Because remember, I wanted to stand next to the disempowered. So who is this Jesus? I didn't want some unequal opportunity God. What does it mean that she prayed for healing but didn't get it? That conversation left me a jumble of raw emotions. And that was the thing about this whole journey, that it was just eating me alive. And so the next day, I came home from work, got the mail, started to let the dogs out. I found a crate of books uh, by my door, and it was from Jay. And it was, I presume, her theological library. And I picked up the first book, and it was Calvin's Institutes, and I was just flipping through it. And I love to see other people's handwriting in the margin of books because, you know, and especially friends. I love to see the journey that friends have taken. And right there next to the exposition of Romans 1 and Jay's handwriting, in her handwriting, it said, watch out, this is where you will fall. And then I, I you know, went to the Bible, and I opened it up, and I looked at Romans 1, I had already read it, but this time it just hit me between the eyes that God gives some over to a degrading passion. I had never thought about my life in those terms before. And that made me want to just throw the Bible and everything in the trash and, you know, ignore Ken's emails and phone calls. And I, um, but, and it made me think about that. So I tried to do that, of course, but it didn't work because, you know, Ken believes in the perseverance of the saints, and so there we were. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things it did made me realize, it was just a small little, little chink in my armor, but it made me realize that I'd been reading the Bible, feeling perfectly justified that I would be the judge of it, that I was a literary critic by training, I was reading it to critique it. And I thought about a question, you know, and it's back to God's authority that 
if God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used chosen men to write this Bible, and these are truly his God-breathed words, then who has authority over God? And why do I feel that I should be the judge of the Bible? What if, and I just kept it as a logic question, I didn't go there right away, what if I allowed the Bible to be the judge of me? Because it occurred to me that I was truly trying to write a book that understood how evangelical Christians got into this dilemma. And it struck me that that is how Ken Smith read the Bible. Mm. That he did not read the Bible. And this may seem so obvious to people. So we have, you know, I don't know, millions of Christian listeners thinking that was really interesting. But that was really interesting. Because in a postmodern context, authority mm-hmm. is, right. you know, it, you put it in quotation marks because it only exists because of Oz behind the curtain. It isn't real. And so that's when the question of God's authority entered into my, my thinking process as I was reading. And, and it did occur to me. Because I, you know, obviously, like, for example, what I'm doing on this radio station, I can talk for a really long time and <laughs> stop. And you guys might have a million questions. And here it's just like a, it's like a train wreck, isn't it, gentlemen? See? <laughs> See, you get to experience it with me. Yeah, it's a transformation. Is it? Well, but it, a- it did make me realize that I wanted to judge what God said about homosexuality. But I didn't even want to hear the other side, and and that did strike me as anti-intellectual. You uh, you discovered that you're not going to judge God, but in fact, you're ultimately accountable to Him. Well, and I didn't discover that right away. See, no. you're giving me more credit. Well, you're, but you're on the road. You're on the road. I'm on the road. And, and to that person who identifies with you, that's right. I'm on the road. Um, I just want to I want to read to them the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter five. He said, "Truly, truly, I mm-hmm. say to you." Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's right. He Amen. does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Amen. It really is an issue of faith and of belief. And to that person who's listening uh, to Rosaria and identifies with her journey, maybe all that's left for you to do is to finally give in to the ultimate authority. And that's the point. It, it's an issue of authority. Who's in charge? You or somebody else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and when you come to that moment... And is that somebody else? Jesus Christ. That's right. When you right. come to that moment to go, if I'm looking around, if it's not me, who is it? There's only one person who stands who has authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, according to Matthew chapter 28. And that's the issue that you had to confront uh, and you, you write about it so well in the book that you've written. Uh, again, Rosario's book is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And I want to encourage our listeners to get a copy. Go to familylifetoday.com. You can order a copy from us online. Again, the website, familylifetoday.com, or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. That's our toll-free number, 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. And we're happy to send a copy of this book out to you. And I think you'll find it very encouraging. And by the way, we are very encouraged by those of you who come alongside this ministry and help support Family Life Today. You make programs like this possible through your generous financial support. 
uh, to Family Life today. We're listener-supported. It's your donations that make it possible for us to cover the cost of producing and syndicating this daily radio program. If you can help with the donation, we'd like to say thank you by sending you a couple of resources. The first is a CD, a conversation we had with Joanne Kraft about how she put her foot down when life got just too busy at her house. She had what she called the radical sabbatical, and uh, she talks about it in our conversation with her. And then we'd also like to send you a copy of Dr. Tim Kimmel's book, Little House on the Freeway, just to help you calibrate the level of busyness around your house. Go to familylifetoday.com and click the button that says I care or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Make your donation over the phone and just ask for uh, the busyness bundle. And we're happy to send that out to you. And we do appreciate your faithful partnership with the Ministry of Family Life today. Tomorrow, we will hear the conclusion of Rosaria Butterfield's story and hear how God got her from where she was to where she is. I hope you can tune in for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. And on behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I am Bob Lapine. We will see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.